Hey guys, welcome to New City. I'm Emily. And I'm Travis. And we are so thankful you're joining us today. We would love to know you're here. You can go to newcity.us connect to let us know you're joining us and find out other ways to get connected with us through a small group or serving in and around our city. Here at New City, you'll often hear us talking about partnering with parents. When we talk about our next-gen ministries, we believe that raising up the next generation of Christ followers is just that, a partnership between the family and the church. If you're a parent, you are your child's first teacher, strongest encourager, and biggest influence. Our hope and goal is that our New City family comes alongside you in that work, Pouring into the lives of the next generation is something every single one of us can right. do. Whether that's stepping in to serve in a small group or helping check in families on Sunday morning, cutting out activities, or helping produce fun and engaging yeah. large group experience for our kids and students. To learn more about our Next Gen Ministries here at New City, you can view our philosophies and strategies. Just visit us at newcity.us slash nextgen. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, speaking of the idea of coming alongside, if you're like me, um, the news and the crisis that continues to happen throughout Ukraine sits heavy on my heart, as I'm sure it does on your heart. And this morning, I wanted to share with you some stories from some of our partners throughout the EFCA denomination and some other ministry partners that are in Kiev and some of the countries surrounding. But just to give you some firsthand stories of some stuff that's happening right there, I have a few quick stories. One comes from a pastor in Kiev. His family has spent most nights um, in the metro station near their home as a shelter. A lot of people don't want to be in their houses. They want to go underground. And so he's, he's told us about how he's been in the, in the subways there. And meanwhile, at the church, they're offering shelter to people who cannot get to the subway stations. And he's also helping deliver emergency food and medicine to people from their church so they don't have to go out onto the streets. And they've been able to get some money to him that costs, but there's still desperate needs and situations. Another pastor wrote that he and his family are very close to the Russian border and they were able to get money. So they are able to host some other people but the problem is they in their community are already experiencing intense bombs as well. And then finally, another story comes from a ministry partner in Poland who is receiving many refugees from the Ukraine. They're able to meet basic needs because of donations, but they are still very much in need of and appreciate all of our prayers and cooperation and ask for more as they continue throughout this crisis. And what I wanted to share with all of you this morning is that we here in New City, we still feel this very much on our hearts as we, we want to trust God fully for, for his provision and his guidance throughout this crisis. And yet we also want to be faithful to the things that he's called us to. So this morning, I want to let you know that we as New City will be contributing a large financial donation to some of our partners in these areas to help with the aid of refugees and other needs that they have. And if you yourself would like to give towards that effort, you can go to newcity.us slash give and in the drop down box, you'll see the option to give to the Ukraine crisis. And we will give every cent of that, push every bit of it out the door to these trusted partners as we continue to walk alongside this crisis that's happening in our world. Thank you for being with us here today. We hope you stay with us now as we continue our series throughout the book of Ephesians.
Good morning. Grateful to see all of you here. For those of you watching New City Live, grateful to have you joining us. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New City. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Ephesians as we continue our study of this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And we find ourselves today in chapter 3. So I want to encourage you to turn there. If you have the New City app or a a Bible app on your phone, uh, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, by the way, oh, by the way, what do you think about when you hear that phrase, oh, by the way? Is it a negative thought or a positive thought? Oh, by the way, represents a digression in someone's stream of consciousness or conversation with you. It's a It's a pause, and what they were saying is they remember something else, maybe something really important that they don't want to forget to tell you. I heard this one this week from a a New City staff member uh, as we were sharing stories about this phrase, oh, by the way, they said, one time I was invited to a party, and then that phrase happened, you're invited to my party, oh, by the way, could you bring eight pounds of brisket with you to, to my party? Maybe you heard this one this week from your boss. Uh, You're doing a great job. Oh, by the way, all the reports are due tomorrow. Or, oh, by the way, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come on in this weekend to to work. Oh, by the way, these digressions and thought aren't just negative, they're positive as well. And when we get to Ephesians chapter 3, Paul begins the chapter with an oh, by the way. It's phrased here in Ephesians 3, uh, verse 1, when I think of all of this. And, and what Paul is doing is he's getting to this chapter as he's thinking back, of course, to chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. And he's, he's thinking about all these incredible things that he's taught the church at Ephesus about Jesus and, 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 and coming to Jesus by grace through faith and being united with God and with one another because of the work of, of Christ and being one humanity. And he says, when I think about all of this, And this is a great posture for us because one of the great things as Christ followers, for those of you who are following Jesus right now, for those of you who are sort of kicking the tires on faith and what is Jesus all about, for those of you who have been following Jesus for years, it's an incredible thing for us to look back and remember what God has done for us personally and what he's done for us corporately. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. And as he does it, he says, oh, by the way, oh, by the way, do you know all that God has done for you? Did you know that the Hebrew Testament, the, the first 39 books of the Bible, can be summarized in one word? Do you know what the word is? Remember. Remember. Remember who God is. Remember the work of God. Remember that God has been with you. And this is exactly what Paul is doing here. He's remembering and he's, he's getting ready to respond to, to God's great revelation of who he is, how he's made himself known, how he's worked in his life. He is remembering the stories of how he's, how he's come to understand God personally. And in the middle of all that, he says, do you know? Oh, by the way, do, do you know the mystery of God that's been revealed in Jesus? And last week we covered that, uh, that digression that Paul makes, maybe the, the, the greatest digression in, in all the scriptures where Paul says, oh, by the way, do you remember what God's done for you? And he says, you know, the work of God is no longer a buried mystery. Do you remember this from last week? 
The work of God is no longer a buried mystery. It's a resurrected Christ. So what's been hidden for the ages, Paul says in this, oh, by the way, has now been made known. It's been revealed in Jesus. And we talked about this simple definition of worship, that worship is our response to God's revelation. As God makes himself known to us, which he has since the beginning of time, in creation itself, God is on his tiptoes making himself known to us. And the ultimate revelation, do you remember this? What is the ultimate revelation of God to us, to you and and to me? It's Jesus. Jesus came fully, God made flesh, fully man, fully God, to reveal himself to us. And now our response is our worship to him in everything that we do. Being gathered here today, listening to God's word being preached, singing, going to work tomorrow, all of it is a response to God's great revelation. And so Paul says, oh, by the way, I want, I want you to know about this mystery that's been revealed in Christ. And he begins to unpack that. And then he comes out of that and he gets back to his original thought. So if you're, if you're turned open now to, uh, to Ephesians 3, the opening line of verse 1 is when I think of all of this. And guess what the opening line of verse 14 is, our passage today? When I think of all this. So Paul goes back to his original thought after he talks about the work of Jesus and how this mystery of salvation has been revealed through the person and the work of Christ. And then, and then in chapter 3, Paul prays and records maybe the, the greatest of prayers recorded in the scriptures. I mean, there's, that's, that's sort of weird to say because they're all great, but this is an amazing prayer that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus and and for us and that we can we can learn from and one of the things we've talked about here at New City is if you struggle to know how to pray which I think all of us throughout our lives wrestle with you know what is prayer in fact our series this summer is going to be on prayer and if you wrestle with prayer and you know what is it and, and how do I do it one of the things we've talked about is the best way to learn how to pray is to is to listen and to read other people who know how to pray And so Paul in our passage today in Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 19 begins to to pray this beautiful prayer. It was was his original thought when he started chapter 3. He was going to respond when he says, when I think of all this, he was going to respond and worship through through prayer. But, But he wants them to know about the mystery of Christ. And then he comes back and he prays this prayer. Again, one of the greatest prayers ever recorded in the scripture. And it's our text today and next week as well. And I'm going to ask if you're able to, uh, to stand to your feet as we hear this, this prayer this morning that's recorded from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to cover verses 14 through 19 this week, and next week we'll finish it off in verses 20 and, and 21. So this is the word of God to you today, Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 19. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Verse 18 And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep 
his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. God's word to you today. You may be seated. Thank you. So I oftentimes find myself praying for the people that I love. Like, I hope, I hope their meeting goes well. I hope they have a good day. How do you pray for the people that you love? The words that you just heard, this, this prayer is how Paul begins to pray for people that he loves, this church that he helped to plant. And now years later, from prison in Rome, he's writing back to them and, and praying this incredible prayer. And it starts with that phrase again, the same phrase that he began chapter 3 with. And after the, oh, by the way, he comes back and he wants to complete his thought and his prayer. And he says, when I think of all of this, and what does he do when he thinks of all this? This is so important. Look at verse 14. When I think of all this, Paul says, I fall to my knees and I pray. His response to God's great revelation is this act of worship and falling to his knees and praying. And you know, interestingly, in Judaism and in early Christianity, the standard posture for prayer was to stand. Uh, We see kneeling happening throughout the scriptures in the Hebrew Testament and the New Testament, but it's more rare. Uh, the, The traditional posture was to stand. But here we see something very powerful as Paul begins to respond to these incredible understandings and realities of who God uh, is and what he's done for us. He he falls to his knees and he prays. And what I want you to see here, if you're taking notes, this is all about a posture. What is your posture, posture as you come before God? And I don't even just mean physically, I mean emotionally, spiritually, relationally. What is our posture before God? Paul displays here a posture of deep submission and humility. When I think of all this, when I think about what God has done, who he is, how he's made himself known to, to me, Paul comes and he says, I, my, my beginning point is on my knees. I, I start with this posture of submission and of humility. And who is the prayer directed to? The Father Remember, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, which is really the disciples' prayer, he begins with our Father. Our Father. And what do we learn about the Father? Look at verse 15. Our Father who is the, the what? The creator of everything in heaven and on earth. So this this prayer, this is so important. We're going to get to the specifics of the prayer. But the prayer begins with posture. And our prayer, our conversation with God, our communion with God, our connection with God begins with our posture. And here's the deal, guys. If we come to God or to other people with a posture of pride for for our connection with God, our communion with God, our prayers to God, pride is kryptonite to the work of the Spirit in our lives. But humility invites the Spirit to work. It gives the Spirit of God freedom and liberty to move in our lives. And so the prayer begins with a posture, and the posture is submission and humility. And then the prayer is directed towards God the Father, the creator, the sustainer of everything. 
Paul helps us to understand. And remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about great theology and doctrine. It's, it's orthodoxy. It's, it's understanding what does it mean to be a Christ follower, which is so important today. To have an incredible foundation of, of doctrine and theology of who God is. That there is truth. That it can be known. That I can build my life on truth. But then as we go further in our study, chapters four through six is about how we live that truth out, that all good doctrine must become ethic. It must become how we live, how we speak, how we relate to other people. And as we finish this first section of what we believe, it, it finishes with this incredible prayer and it's directed to the Father. And who is the Father? He's the creator. We didn't create all this. God created all of this. And not only that, he's the sustainer of all of life. Paul says in Colossians that he holds everything together in our lives. It might feel like your life is falling apart, but the Bible reminds us today, Paul reminds us that God is holding us together. He's holding all of this world together. As one theologian said, there's not an inch of this earth, not an inch that God doesn't look at and say, mine. God made the world and everything in it, and he's the sustainer of everything. And we carry his name as Christ followers. Paul says that every family in heaven and on earth takes the name of God. What does that mean? It means for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who, who follow Jesus, past, present, and future, they carry the name of God. You know, when God asked Moses uh, through Aaron to, to, to give a benediction to the people in Numbers chap chapter 6, he says, I want you to place my name on them. We'll have that benediction, that blessing today, that same blessing that God gave to give to the people and place his name on them. What does it mean to carry the name of God into your work, into relationships, into life as you leave here today? What does it mean? Well, biblically, a name is identity. A name is identity. So you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you, even in this moment, walking in here today, are wrestling with who am I? Why am I here? What is the meaning of all of this? When I started in ministry 23 years ago, I started as a student pastor. Some of my students were coming in today. I feel like I'm getting very old. And one of the things I would hear from students all the time is, I need to find myself. Maybe you've, you know, said that before or you thought that privately. I, need, I just, I need to find, I need to, I need to go and find myself. And, and listen, I think it's great to go to new places and meet new people and have new experiences. But you're not out there. You're right here. And it's not you going to find yourself. It's God coming to find you. God making himself known to you through Jesus and placing his name on you, that identity, that you know who you are, that you know where you came from, that you know where you're going. Are you with me on this? So many people go throughout their lives, and maybe this is you today, just wondering, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And Paul, on his tiptoes today in this prayer, the beginning of this prayer, wants us to know that God is our Father Right? He's the creator of everything. And if we believe in Jesus, we can come to him as a father. 
And we can know that he's holding all things together and we can carry his name, his identity into the world. And then he begins to pray this prayer. And the prayer is found in verses 16 through 19. And then next week we'll finish in 20 and 21, which is really kind of a a doxology to the prayer. And you may be surprised to learn that the theme of this incredible prayer that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, you want to know what the theme is? Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19, is power. Now, we have a love-hate relationship as people with power, don't we? In fact, even when I say that word power, many of you have a negative connotation to the word because you have an experience of someone who has used something against you or tried to take power from you or used their power against you. But you might be surprised to learn that Paul uses the word strength or power five times in in this little passage, verses 16 through 19 in this prayer. And the reason why so many of us have a, a negative connotation to power is because we've seen it abused, right? We're seeing it abused right now in a very visceral way in our world. But here's the deal theologically, is that all of us were were made to derive or to be sourced with power from outside of ourselves. An understanding of a biblical worldview is that we didn't create ourselves. And if we didn't create ourselves, we can't sustain ourselves. But so many people think that they're a a self-made woman or a self-made man, and it's just not true. The narrative is that all of us are created in the image of God and all of us carrying the image of God need God. And God is the ultimate source of our life and the sustainer of our life. But here's the deal, guys. Everyone watch this. When we don't understand that our power and our identity comes from God and God alone, then we'll try to take it from anywhere else. We'll look from within and we'll think, if I, could, if I could just get that title, if I could just get that education, if I could just get to that financial place, if I could just get that to account balance, or if I could, you fill in the blank for you, then I would feel like I have strength or power or identity. Or worse, we go and we try to take it from other people. And we think if I, could, if I could push this person down, if I could, if I could subjugate this person, if I, could, if I could conquer other people or other places, then I would have the power that I, I so long for. And all of that ends in failure when I look to myself for power or other people for power. Because it's not how we were created and it's not how God ordered things, is it? God is the sustainer. He's the only one that can give strength and power that we long for. And anything else is going to fail us and will crush other people in the process. And again, we see that happening in a disgusting way in our world right now. The power that originates from God himself is the power, Paul says here, that comes through the Spirit. It only comes from the Spirit. And when we try to take it from within ourselves or from other people and not from the very Spirit of God that's living in us as Christ's followers, then it becomes sin. And remember what sin is. Sin is trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I was created to derive power and strength from outside of myself. But if I don't find it from God, I'll take it from you. 
I was created, God made me for intimacy, to, to know and to be known by other people, the cry of every human heart. But I'll substitute intimacy for something much cheaper if I can't get it. This is how powerful this passage is. How powerful I, our identity in Christ is. And what Paul is referencing is not a power that comes from within or from other people. It's only the power that comes from the Spirit. It's the same power that created the world. It's the same power that sustains the world. It's the same power that everything has its, its existence and its meaning. And it's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that lives within me. And Paul says, from this same power, if you're taking notes, three things. Here's the prayer. From, from this same power that rose Jesus from the grave, that lives in us as Christ followers, may you be empowered with inner strength. Look at verses 16 and the beginning of 17. This isn't an overt strength uh, that you parade around. It's an invisible power of spiritual convictions created by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that this power that Paul is praying for, that you would be empowered with inner strength, it doesn't come with a, a particular title or all the o overt things that you might equate to power. Have you ever been with someone that, you know, they don't, they don't have anything in their life, they don't, they don't look the part, they don't have anything that would point to, 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 to being powerful. But when you're in their presence, when you hear them speak or pray, you go, where did that power and strength come from? It's a strength of, of heart, a strong and steady heart that only God can give us as we're empowered with inner strength. You know, religion, everyone watch this for a second. Religion is all about what I have to do on the outside and hopefully it begins to work its way inside. I've got to do all of these things to, to be something. Christianity is I am something, and it begins to work its way out in my life and what I do. Does that make sense? Religion is all about the outside. Christianity and following Jesus begins on the inside. That my heart would change, and as my heart changes, my life begins to change. My thoughts change. My words change as, I, as I'm empowered from the inside. And what is the source of this empowerment? Well, Paul writes it right here in verse 16. The source of this power is the, uh, God's glorious and unlimited resources. You know, the power that comes from within yourself or, or someone else will always run out because power has to be derived from outside of ourselves. It only comes from God. And Paul says, I pray that you would be empowered, first of all, in your inner man, in your inner person, from within. And the source of this power are the glorious riches, the, the unlimited resources of God himself. And then, look at this little phrase, verse 17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you what? As you trust him. The closest word that we have in the English language to faith is trust. And Paul says, as we place our faith in him, not our works, not the outside stuff, our trust from within as we, as we trust him, as we place our hope in him, as we place our faith in Jesus alone, he makes his home within us. You know, when, when Jen and I were first married, I moved uh, here first. She was a year behind me and finishing up school. And I moved here first and I started seminary and was working. And we, we, we bought a little condo. And uh, for the first year, I, you know, was living in there. And you can imagine what that looked like. And when we were married, uh, all of that changed. All of that changed very rapidly, very quickly. 
Um, it was a place for me to sleep, right, and eat pizza. Uh, it became something very different when we were married. When, when, when Christ comes into our, you know, when we, when, we, when we place our trust in Jesus, I love this, you know, the Spirit arrives in our lives. Go back to chapter 1, Paul says, uh, when we come to Jesus, when we place our faith and trust in him, the Holy Spirit seals our hearts for the day of redemption. He puts a deposit in us that will be cashed in, if you will, later on for even more blessings. But it gets even better because Jesus doesn't just arrive in our hearts, he settles down. Starts to clean out all the things. Pick up the pizza boxes of our heart. Rearrange the furniture and he begins to make it a home. Ephesians 3.17 is a continuation of John 1.14. What is John 1.14? The word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. The word here is the same word, dwelt. That as we trust in Jesus, he makes his home in our hearts. He dwells within us and he begins to clean things up and rearrange us. And then Paul prays, secondly, from this same power that enables you with inner strength that you would be, uh, or empowers you with inner strength that you would be enabled to understand. Look at the second part of verse 17 and 18. Paul employs a, an organic botanical metaphor here. He says that, that your roots would go down into God's love. You know, our, our lives are, you know, if you use this metaphor, our roots are constantly searching for water and source of life. And when we don't find it in God, we're, we'll, we'll find it in anything else and we'll, we'll, we'll suck it dry, if you will. And Paul says, I pray that, that your roots, right, that they would go down into God's love because it's unlimited and that you would stay strong and you begin to source your life from that. But it gets even better. Look at verse 18. He says then that you'd have the power to understand as all God's people should. If you're a follower of Jesus, Paul says, you should know this. You should receive this power that only comes from God. And you should understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep is God's love for you. I read this week about the Challenger Deep Gorge. Have you ever heard of that? Me either. The Challenger Deep Gorge is the deepest place in the ocean. It's the deepest place on earth that we know of. It's seven miles under the Pacific Northwest Ocean. Seven miles. It's a mile higher than Mount Everest is, is high. It, it's that deep. Seven miles. In fact, we can't construct anything to get down there because everything that we send down there gets crushed by the amount of pressure that's generated from being seven miles under the ocean. We know it's there, but we can't quite get there. And you know what's crazy? In that same ocean that's seven miles deep, we surf in. We play in the waves. We walk on the beach and, and, and feel the, uh, the water on our, our toes. And the idea is this, that as we dive and we explore the fish and the reef and all the different things and the amazing depth of the ocean. We, we know that it's seven miles deep, even though we can't get there, but we know it and we enjoy it and we continue to explore it. And this is the love of God for us. We'll never be able to fully grasp it, Paul says. But, but we continue to explore we, we, we swim, if you will, in the boundless ocean of God's love, and we keep exploring how deep the Father's love is for us. And Paul prays for us that we would have the power to understand the vast dimensions of God's love for us. 
And then finally, here's the third part of the prayer. You'd be empowered, you'd be enabled. Here's the final one, verse 19. From this same power that rose Jesus from the grave, that lives within us, that you would experience all the fullness of life that comes from God. This, this is amazing. Paul is praying that these people that he loves, right, that they would experience fully who they are in Christ and they would experience the life that God has for them fully. It's, it's interesting that, you know, today, many of you, when you woke up, you, you pulled out your phone and, and maybe like me, you kind of read through the news, but then you, you pulled open your, your weather app and you saw that today is going to be 81 degrees, right? It's amazing. It's one thing, though, maybe the way to illustrate this, this final point, to experience all the fullness of life from God. It's one thing to pull open that app, right, and to go, man, it's going to be 81 degrees today. It's another thing, not right now, just in a few minutes. It's another thing to walk outside and feel the warmth on your face to experience God's creation. And I hope you'll do that today and you'll remember verse 19. It's one thing to know it's warm outside. It's another thing to walk out there and experience it. And Paul says, I want you to experience the fullness of life that comes from God. The psalmist said it this way, Psalm 34, seven, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you think about all three of these together, to be empowered with inner strength, this prayer, to be enabled to understand, to experience all the fullness of life from God, to be empowered is your heart, to, to, to be enabled to understand is really your knowledge, your head. And then finally, to cap it all off, is to experience in your body everything, the fullness of God and his creation and his life for you. It reminds us of the great commandment that Jesus said. What's the great commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. To experience fully life and power that comes from God. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that's alive in me and in you, those of us who have trusted in Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he had dinner with his friends, with his disciples. And I imagine that most nights ended this way around a fire, sharing a meal together, telling stories about how they experienced God that day. And this night at the table, Jesus reminds them again that he's going away. And he gives them a new commandment that they love one another. And he washes their feet and, and he in, embodies what servant leadership really looks like. And then he, he takes bread as he often would do with them. But tonight was different. And he said, after he gave thanks for the bread, he said, this bread represents my, my body that is given for you. And then he took a, a cup filled with, with wine and he said, this wine represents my, my blood that is poured out and shed for you. And then Jesus said these words. He said, as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim my sacrifice. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, when you taste of this bread and you drink of this cup, you'll remember the gospel 
you'll remember the dimensions of my love for you, how wide and high and deep is the Father's love for us. And the ultimate expression of God's love for us was him sending his only son to die for us, that we might have life and life to the fullest, not by our works, our religiosity, our moralism, but by our faith in Christ. It's only by God's grace through our trust and faith in him. So it's right, the scriptures remind us, it's right that as we come to this table, this this ancient table that for 2,000 years has been reminding us of the goodness of God, the love of God, the power of God through Christ, that we should examine our hearts and prepare our hearts. And so I wanna invite you to do that today. And maybe you'll take one of those three prayers that Paul prayed in verses 16 through 19 in Ephesians 3 and, and make that your own today. But I would ask you over the next moments to just remain quiet and still and ask God to speak to you and ask him to purify and cleanse your heart through Jesus as we come to the table today. Let's pray together. creating us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. But would you today, even in this moment, as we come to your table, restore unto us the joy of our salvation, the dimensions of your love for us. May you draw near to us today, Jesus. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. This is the table of God for you, the people of God. I invite you now to partake of it. I was broken and afraid and powerless I was trapped within my sin and hopelessness I was lost in the dark and all alone I was wandering with nowhere to call He saw me in the valley of my shame 
Thank you so much for being with us today. It was a joy to be together. Uh, just two things really quickly. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you. Um, I'll be up front here afterwards. And if you're looking to get connected, probably the easiest way to do that is to go to Connection Point, which is straight outside in the courtyard. And we'd love to tell you more about New City and would love for this to be your, your church home and family and uh, talk to you about how to get in a group or, or on a team. If you're able today, would you extend your hands for a benediction, for a blessing uh, as we go today? And may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. 
May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week fill you with his presence, with his power, and with his love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Love you, New City.